morning, I've just felt the presence of Jesus, and I really just keep seeing him today that he's entered in as a lion, um, and that he's just like walking around all of us as a lion today, um, and in that he's roaring truth at us today that sets us free, it breaks bondages, and it grows us in him, because as we grow in the knowledge of the Lord, we grow in all the things that the Bible says. So we have abundant life through the knowledge of God. And so I just really see him today. And if you guys want to picture that as I'm talking, that Jesus is just roaring at you. And it's like a roar that is like so powerful and it brings the fear of the Lord, but it also will set you free today. Um, and it's going to point you to truth and it's going to take us higher um, we're going to get to see heaven today and what God's saying. So God gave me a message this week for the church today, and it was 1 Corinthians 13, which is the love chapter. And I kind of was like, oh, Lord, everyone knows that chapter. And I was like, everyone knows what it says. And, but he just, and I was like, God, why, what do you want to talk to me about it with? And what do you want to say to the church? And I feel like the word that I have before I go into the message was that, God wants to remind the church the importance of love in the last days. So in Joel, when he prophesied that in the last days, God would pour out his spirit. Sons and daughters would prophesy. Young men would see visions and old men would dream dreams. So it shows that out of this outpouring, there's going to be a ton of spiritual gifts that come along with it, right? And so God wants to prepare our hearts because as the spirit increases in the earth, the church's love must increase, and he says, without the church being unified in love, the gifts in the last days won't bear fruit. Love is the soil in which the seeds planted by the Spirit can grow and produce fruit. The gifts that will accompany this outpouring of the Spirit won't be able to have strong roots if the soil is not good. So we want revival and we want this outpouring of the Spirit and we want all of these things to happen. But God right now is testing our hearts and he's preparing our hearts because he's saying that if the church's love is not the soil, then when the Spirit comes and he plants the seeds of his gifts, when they take root and when they come up, they're not going to bear fruit. And so it's so important that as the church, we be united in love and that be our foundation and our soil. Because when he does come and those spiritual gifts come, we'll have fruit. And that's what the world's going to eat. It's going to eat our fruit. It's not going to eat our spiritual gifts. It's going to eat the fruit that come from them. So I just feel like that's what um, the Lord is setting us up today um, for this message. So Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. He talks about the spiritual gifts and he talks about love. So Paul wrote this letter to, to the Corinthian church from Ephesus in around 53 AD. And so a lot of the times in this church, as the spirit began to manifest in different ways, so you know, you'd have healing and there's a lot of tongues that were happening. The gift of tongues, the gift of prophecy, right? That was what we saw in the early church. Jesus says, wait till my spirit comes. And once they did, this huge act of speaking in tongues came. The gift of tongues came and all of the um, spiritual gifts were being outpoured on the church. But Paul begins to tell the church in his letter that you have these gifts, but you don't have love. So now there's division that's coming to the church because as people began to speak in tongues and they, got, they began to operate in these gifts of the spirit, they began to envy one another and they started to compare one another in the church, which is really wrong. So there's no love that's happening in the church, but there was prophecy and there was healing, there was gifts of tongues, 
but that all started to create a little chaos. So Paul wrote this letter to the church in Corinth so that he would bring some order to what people were doing in the spiritual realm. And he was saying to the church that it's, you can emphasize the gifts to glorify Christ, but the greatest way is gonna be love. So we're gonna be looking at some of this letter in 1 Corinthians. Um, so as they emphasized the spiritual gifts, they started to give glory to themselves and they started to envy one another. And the Bible says where there's envy, there's all sorts of evil. And so Paul, he goes on in chapter 12 to talk about the unity of Christ in the body. So as the spiritual gifts come, they're all important for the body. That don't compare yourself to one another about saying, oh, well, they hear from God or, you know, they read the Bible more and all of that kind of stuff. You take the gift that God's given you and you humbly accept it and you unite yourself in love. And that's the best way for the church to be united. And so he goes on in all of 12 talking about how we're all baptized in one spirit and we're one body and we all should work together as the body of Christ. And my favorite part is how he transi transitions into the next section of his letter, which chapter 13, which we're all familiar with. And he says, now I will show you the most excellent way. So gifts are great and they're so important for the abundant life of the church. They're so vital and I love them. I encourage you all to seek them, desire them. Paul says, desire all the greater gifts. But the most excellent way for the church to glorify Christ is not through the spiritual gifts, but it's through love. And that's what he's telling them. So they're struggling, comparing themselves, and they have all this chaos because of the spiritual gifts. But Paul says, the greatest, most excellent way is that the church would be united in love. That's the best way that you can glorify Christ. And above all things, that we would be his love. Um, so I want to read 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3. And these are the verses that I want it to sit heavy on our hearts today. So when I read it, I just want you to hear everything that I'm saying and let it resonate with your heart so that a seed would be planted there. Because I want it to be a challenge for us today. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. So if we earnestly seek these gifts above love, we've missed the very purpose of Christ's sacrifice and the purpose of the church. 1 John 4 says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his only, one and only son into the world that we might live through him. It was by love for love and through love that God purposed his will for the church. From the very beginning, it was the foundation. It's the foundation of our faith. It's the foundation of our existence. It's how we started, how we're gonna end. It's all for love. Paul says that the gifts will cease. When we get to heaven, we're not gonna need healing. We're not gonna need to speak in tongues. We're not gonna have to have faith. But he says love will never fail. Love will be there to the end of the ages. It will be there in, in like all in heaven when we're there for all times. But the gifts we're not going to need because we'll be full in Christ. 
So that's why God's telling his church, you must be united in love. It's so important above all things. So Paul calls out the church and he's saying that with these gifts, you've, you've become prideful. You've started comparing yourself. You've exalted yourselves. I mean, that's not what Christ died for. So my challenge for us today is that we would look at the church in Corinth and then we would look at our own hearts and we would measure how well we're loving today. I want to read from James. I think it's so important um, as believers when we read the word that we really take it seriously. And it's to reflect our lives. And it's a guideline. It's, a, it's, it's how we're supposed to live. So it's so important that we read this word every day. If we want abundant life... This is how we get it. We fill ourselves with the word of God. James in chapter 1, he says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in all that he does. So we read the word and we don't just look at it, right? We don't just read it and not do what it says. So when we look at it, we're looking into the very image of Christ because Christ came as the word, and the word was made flesh. So when we read the word, we're coming to start being transformed like Christ. And as we do that, we go into the world and we get to be Jesus. We don't forget what we look like. We don't forget the truth that's been told to us. So as the world is giving us all this untruth and all of these lies and is causing chaos and, and breeding in this world and the devil is sowing seeds of a false love, it is so important that we become what this word says that we do it in the world, that we prove that we ourselves are not liars, that our life wouldn't be just a lie or a profession, but we would love with word and truth and action. And so as we read what Paul says, that if you have all these gifts and you can fathom knowledge, but you have not love, you gain nothing, that I can surrender myself to the fire, that I could have given myself up in tete to die and gain nothing if I didn't love. And so as we're here in Athens, we can be involved in so many ministries and we can do so many good things, but we have to reflect in our own heart and say, do I love well? Do I love my spouse well? Do I love my coworkers well? Do I love my roommates well? Do I love my friends well? Do I love the non-believers well? This is what we should ask ourselves every day is how are we loving, not what we're doing. Because that's okay, God can make all that happen. But he's more concerned about how the church loves than what the church is doing. And so I just also wanted you to know that love, if we look in the Bible, love is not a good suggestion. It's a command. It is not a choice. Obedience is the choice. So it's you're either going to choose to obey or going to choose not to obey when we love. And so just let that sink in our hearts that it's so important that God is just telling his church, I want you to love. In these last days, I want you to love like never before. Because then you'll be ready for me to move and to act in your city when you love. So in every generation, the church's greatest calling 
is to love. It's to manifest this love of God that is found in Christ Jesus through the help of the Holy Spirit. That's the purpose, every generation. And the reason why it looks different in every generation is because the generations change. So our love has to look a little different. It doesn't look different than the word, but now we're struggling with the, wor- with the world and how now they're saying love is that you can love anyone, right? You can love anyone of any, um, like homosexuality, right? So the way that we love as a church is going to be a little bit different because we're loving something that's coming against us that looks different than it did maybe generations ago that they didn't have to face. But it's still the same, and the truth is still the same. So that doesn't change. So you need to get with the Lord in these situations where we're facing and our coworkers and they're asking questions. It's we've got to fill ourselves up with the word so that we will know exactly what to say when we're confronted with the world's actions and questions as the church. And it will always come forth as love. And maybe, and loving is not accepting somebody's sin. It's freeing them from their sin. When you love somebody, it will free them. And so we are called to love people out of hell. That should be the church's response. It's like when we love, it shouldn't make the world just be happy. It should set them free from hell. And so I want to talk about where Jesus, um, in Matthew 16, he goes and takes his disciples to um, Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi was one of the worst places during the time of Jesus' day. So the people there worshipped a God that his name was Pan, and he was like half goat, half man. And they would have a bunch of sexual orgies in front of this idol that they made of this God, Pan, right in front of it, out in the open. And it would be women and men and all of this sexual orgy. And so it was so, just a really evil place that Jews didn't even go there. Like they would judge you if you stepped foot near Caesarea Philippi. And here Jesus is, and he says, come on, I'm taking my disciples. And they were younger. And so he takes them to Caesarea Philippi. And here is where he says one of his most famous, um, I would say, sermons. And he asks Peter, who is the Christ? And Peter says, you are. And he's saying it in Caesarea Philippi, which was basically just one of the most like places where hell just opened up on earth and people were in sin and it was terrible. And he says, Peter, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And what he's saying is that on this rock, which is the knowledge of the love of God found in Christ Jesus, I will build my church. So in the midst of all of this sin, I will build my church on love and the gates of hell cannot come against it. And I love that Jesus uses the word gate, right? He said gate because nothing, a gate it keeps something out, right? And it keeps something from coming in. And love is the key to hell's gate. Because love is the perfect law of liberty. It's like gravity. When you drop a pen, it's going to fall, right? It's a law. Well, love is the perfect law of liberty. So when the church is united in love, hell has no choice but to set its prisoners free. That's what happens in the spiritual realm when we love. We may not see the fruit of it, but there is stuff happening in the spiritual realm when the church is united in love. And when you love, there is no demonic force on heaven or on earth that can come against you. 
it makes you completely 100% unstoppable against the enemy. That's why Jesus on earth was unstoppable because he loved. He was sent by love. He stayed for love and it compelled him all the way to the end to die for it, for us and for the love of God. He loved God. He loved his will. And therefore he was able to love others and love the world because for God so loved the world. So Jesus loved the world because he loved the Father. And so as the church, we love Christ, so we're going to love the world. And nothing can stop us when we love. When we have spiritual gifts and we manifest them and we operate in them, which is so beautiful, and they are weapons that the Holy Spirit gives us, but that we also aren't perfect. And in the gifts, we can really make a mess. I know I've made a mess, and I'm sure other of you guys have your own testimony of messes that you've made through the spiritual gifts. And God is faithful to help you clean them up. But when you love, it cleans up messes. It cleans up other people's messes. Jessica has loved me through my messes that I've made with people. Like, it's just how it works. Love covers over a multitude of sins. So I believe that the Holy Spirit will manifest himself more in an environment created by love than one created by the gifts of the Spirit. And again, I'm telling you, I love the gifts of the Spirit. They are absolutely amazing. But if we want revival, we need to be seeking love first. It has to be our first thing that we want to see changed in our hearts it's the first thing that we should wake up thinking about how we can love others today. Because out of that, we will get to experience the gifts in full. And, you know, where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. So as we love and as we love each other in the body of Christ, like Jessica was saying today, that if you're battling something, we'll fight it for you. We fight it with love by loving one another. So as we bear each other's burdens, that's loving someone. Christ made intercession for us, so we need to be interceding for our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's how he loved us. He still continues to make intercession for us. And God loved us by sharing the gospel with us. He revealed Christ to us. And so what we do is we love others by sharing the gospel. Preach the gospel to your friends. We need to hear it every day. There's not a day that goes by where I don't need to hear the gospel, where Krista doesn't need to hear the gospel, where KC doesn't need to hear the gospel. We need to hear it every day. If you're married, preach the gospel to your spouse every day. It's how we live. We don't die. We don't want to die any longer. We don't want to just sit and rot. So God will kill things in us, but the promise is resurrection life. So how we get resurrection life is we love. And then also we're preaching the gospel to ourselves and to others. And that's what produces the life. So we don't want to just sit in that place of death. We even want to be resurrected. And love resurrects us. It's what resurrected Jesus. Because he gave up his life for love. So in that, God loved Jesus, so he resurrected him, and he was made alive again. 
It's like love is like this continuous circle. It's the circle of life, like the Lion King. Love is the circle of life. It just is. You know, and that's why it's so important. And that's why Paul preaches it's the most excellent way. Above all things, love is the most excellent way. So love is a command. And all the law and the prophets are summed up. And love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your strength, and with all of your soul. And I want to challenge us today, and I want us to ask ourselves, do we really love God with all of our heart, with all of our mind? What, are our, what is our mind focused on? Is it focused more on other things? Then we can question ourselves and be like, God, do I really love you with all of my mind? And if you don't, it's good to know because then you say, Holy Spirit, help me. Help me to love God with all of my mind and all of your soul, all of your emotions. Are we passionate about God the way that he deserves? Or are we more passionate about other things? What is our time given to? Because where your time is is going to show where your passion is. And so I want to, you know, talk about the, why we should love God. Why should, we be, why should God be so sure of himself that he should command us to love him? He didn't ask us to love him. He commands it. It is a command that you love the Lord your God. So I want to look back at Genesis 15, 9 through 21, where he talks about the, where God makes the covenant with Abraham. And so this is really cool. This gets me fired up for why we should love God. So when he made the covenant with Abraham, when you make a covenant back in the old days, and also some Bedouin cultures in the Middle East still do this today, is you would take these slain animals, you would divide them on each side and let the blood run through the middle. And you would walk, each person of the covenant would walk in the middle. And what that represented was that they would say, if I break this covenant, you can do to me what we did to these animals. So basically, like, you have the right to kill me because I broke the covenant. And so some people do that today with the groom um, and a bride. If the groom doesn't keep up his side of the covenant, then the bride's father can do to the groom what they did to the animals in the covenant. So when God makes this covenant with Abraham, it was a big deal. So that's why it says Abraham was like terrified for this covenant because he knew what it meant. Everyone in that day would have known what a covenant meant. And he knew that, oh my gosh, my, there's no way my descendants could keep this, to keep the perfect law of the Lord. Because God says like, you know, you have to obey my commandments. That's the covenant I'm making with you. And so what happens in Genesis, y'all should go read it today. It's really cool. In Genesis 9 through 20, 15, 9 through 21, is God says, no, Abraham, I will do to myself what we did to these animals if you break the covenant. I take full responsibility of this covenant. And so he walks through the covenant and it's represented by a torch, a flaming torch. When you look at Jesus, he's in the line of Abraham. He fulfilled the covenant. Does that not make you want to love God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all your strength, and with all of your soul? It's because we couldn't keep it. We could not keep the covenant. And by covenant law, we should die because we broke it. 
But God says, no, I will do to myself. I will kill myself. I will slay myself a terrible death so that you wouldn't have to taste death. The Bible says Jesus tasted death for everyone so we wouldn't have to taste it. And I love that because why wouldn't that arouse a love in us that is so fierce that no idol on earth could take our gaze off the beauty of the love of God in Christ Jesus. It is everything. It's what we breathe in every day is the love of God. And that's why it's so important that we read the word because it reminds us of the love of God. It's not just how love God loves you now, it's how he loved you then, before you even knew him. Before the church was even a thing, God's making a covenant, promising that you wouldn't have to die. That he would take it on for himself. John 4, 10 through 12 says, This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, We also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is why love is so important. It's the gospel. He sent his son as a sacrifice because we broke the covenant and that if we love one another, God's spirit is made complete in us. Sometimes we wonder why we always feel so broken or why things in the church look broken. It's because we're not being made complete in love because we're not loving one another. So if we want to be whole, then this has to be our heartbeat. Love has to be our heartbeat. It can't be the last thing that's on our to-do list. It has to be the first. And first you love God and then you love others. And as we love God, that love's gonna naturally spill out to those around us. Because if y'all have ever gotten in the presence of God, it's not that in that moment when we worship God that we're loving him, it's that he's loving us. And when you get immersed in the love of God, I mean, you just get so happy, you feel like you're in heaven. And that joy comes forth through the inmost being of your soul and your spirit. And it can't help but pour out onto other people's lives. If you've ever been with someone who just came out with spending time with the Lord, I mean, you just feel like you got a blessing. And that's where the church needs to be. If we want to see revival in the secret place, we have got to be experiencing the love of God for ourselves. Because then when we go out into Athens in such a dry, dry place, we are the rivers of life. And we go and flood it because we know the love of God and we want to share it. And so... Paul goes on to define love for us. And so I want everyone to close their eyes and I want you to lift um, or put out your hands as I read this over you. Because I want you to soak this in. I want you just to let it just come into your heart. I want the spirit to just breathe it in you right now. I want Jesus to roar this into your hearts and your spirits right now. Love is patient. Love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. 
Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. You can open up your eyes now. So if this is how God loves me, God's never angry with me. He's not quick to temper with me. He doesn't remind me of my wrongs. He always perseveres through my sin. He's never rude to me. He never complains about me. He never talks bad about me. If God loves me like this, then this is my standard of how I love the world and how I love those around me. So my standard doesn't become how I love myself or how others love me. That's not how I measure love. It's not measured by what the world say, says love is. It's this right here. That's my standard. And that's what I live by. And this is how we measure our walk. It's good to reflect. There's no condemnation in Jesus, but it is so good to be convicted. That means we're growing in the Lord. And that means he is sanctifying us. And that means he loves us. When God disciplines you, it's because he loves you. And his word is full of correction for our sinful fleshly nature. And it points us to truth. And it's pointing us to heaven. And so I want to just emphasize that maybe this week I want to challenge the church. I want you to read 1 Corinthians 13. Read the whole thing, 1 through 7. Read it every day and see if it sets your day up for success and abundance in Christ. When you have that as your focus. I'm telling you, it will change the world if we really start to do what the Bible says. And it's going to change your life. So I challenge you this week, see if it makes a difference in your week. Of when you start focusing on loving and loving God first. And you really give him your full attention. And so I love Jesus because he knew our struggle would be hard to love. It is so hard to love through our flesh when we want to get angry and we want to hold bitterness. And, you know, we, we want to be rude and we don't want to listen. It's so hard. We're battling a body of death is what we're battling. And Christ knew that the struggle would be real. And so he knew it would take divine intercession while he was on earth so that his church would be able to love. So John 17, 26, Jesus is praying to the Father right before he dies for us. Like, can you imagine that? He's about to die this terrible, gruesome death that was foreshadowed and promised thousands of years before in a covenant made with Abraham. And he thinks to pray for us to pray for his church, to pray for you, to pray for me. He, wasn't, he prays for the disciples right before that, but this is a specific prayer to his church. Like what a self-sacrificing savior that we have. That he wouldn't be focused even when he's about to die and sweating and crying tears of blood because it was so overwhelming what he was about to do and the separation he was about to face, that he prayed for you. In his, he was still man. 
So all of us, we would be thinking about ourselves. We would be praying for us, but he prays for you. So if you ever want to doubt Christ's love for you or that he's not fighting for you, go and read that he prays for you. In John 17, again, it goes back. That's why, church, we have to read the word. Because whenever you're going through a really hard time, it reminds us that we're not alone. You are not alone and you are loved. And you have a Savior that is interceding for you. And he says, I have made you known to them. He's talking to the Father. And will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them. And that I myself may be in them. The same love that God had for Jesus, Jesus is praying that we would have. Like, can you imagine that love? When we think of that love, we think of it as so divinely, so untouchable that we can't have it because it's so perfect. And it was so holy and it was so deep that we can't even fathom it. But Jesus is praying that we would have that same love in our hearts. That we would be able by God's spirit to love Jesus the way that the Father loves Jesus. You have all of heaven on your side to love. It's what heaven fights for. And so when we have that on our side, and Jesus, he was obedient to death because God's love compelled him. So right now, would we be obedient unto the shedding of our blood? You can ask yourselves that. If we were faced right now to die, would, would the love of God compel us in that moment? But it compelled him because Jesus knew God loved him. He was so sure that God loved him. He was willing to give himself up because he knew the promise would be resurrection life. He knew that I can die because my father will raise me up to life again. He told his disciples that. He didn't doubt it. But do we doubt that sometimes? Now, maybe it's not a physical death, but it's a spiritual death as we're dying. Do we honestly believe that God loves us enough to raise us to life again? But that's why when we spend time with him, when there's a mutual affection of love that happens between heaven and earth, miracles happen. I want to be in that miracle. I don't want to be in a miracle because I have a gift of healing and I'm healing people and raising them up from the dead. I want to be in a miracle because heaven touched earth because I know the love of God and the love of God was poured out to wherever I was. Because love will bear more fruit. And it's a sweet fruit and it tastes like honey because his word tastes like honey to us. So love is so hard, but if Christ interceded for us on earth, how much more does he intercede for us in heaven by the power of his blood that was shed? Don't forget you have an intercessor that stands beside God on the throne as king, and he makes a way for you because he intercedes for you. And he's here to help you. And he's here to help the church. And that's why this message today is his love for you. It's his love to remind you that, hey, walk in my ways. 
Come back to your first love. Come back to the first commandments because they are the most important. It's what I lived by when I was here on earth, and it's what I've called you to live by. So why is it so important that we love? Not only does it change the world, but I want to look at Jesus' encounter with a fig tree while he was here on earth. And that's found in Mark 11, 12 through 14. And I'm going to read it. And he's encountering this fig tree. And I think this gives us a, a glimpse into what he was saying in that time to the Jewish people. And what he's warning also for the church in later days. So I'm in Mark 11, 12 through 14. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciple heard him say it. I probably, he probably said, may you never eat fruit again. He was upset. He was hungry. So I want to tell you a little bit about this fig tree, why it was so important. So if the fig tree, the fruit of the fig actually comes before the leaves do. So when Jesus would have saw this fig tree, he would have expected it to have fruit because it had leaves. So imagine him. He was hungry and he went to go eat the fruit, but there was no fruit found on the tree, even though it promised that there would be fruit. And he says, may you never bear fruit again and withered away. So during the time, this was important. What he was saying to the, um, the Pharisees at that time is that when Jesus came and he was born into the world, he was expecting fruit from the Jewish people, right? They were entrusted with the very words of God. And he went and they had no fruit. So they had all the knowledge, right? Because the Bible says knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. So they had all this knowledge, but they had no love. And so he told them, may you never bear fruit again. And he was so, he was upset. So for us today, how many, how many churches and how much of the church do we profess that we're believers and that we're Christians and that we have leaves and we're professing our faith but we have no fruit. So whether our leaves are green because of the faith or because spiritual gifts we operate in, but if we have no fruit, how dreadful that Jesus should come back ready and hungry for his harvest and find none. Woe to the church or the person that Christ should come looking for fruit, and he says, may you and find none, and says, may you never bear fruit again, and thus it withers away. This all should sober us today and challenge us. Again, not condemn us, but convict us of why it's so important that we love. Because like God said in the word in the beginning, that it becomes our soil for which the spiritual gifts planted by the Holy Spirit, will grow and bear fruit. So we don't want the leaves, we want the fruit. Because when the church comes in the last days, when there is no fruit out there for them to eat, the church must bear it. 
We can't be dry or void of fruit because then what would the world eat? And then when Christ comes back for the church, he's coming back looking for the fruit. So he's going to see the church's leaves that we're professing that Christ is Lord. And that's amazing. But if we do not have the fruit, we will wither away. And he warns the churches in Revelation about that. If you want to read the letters to the seven churches, that's basically what he's saying. So I want us to be captivated first by the love of God so that we would see the importance of us as Christians and the, being the body of Christ of who we are to the world in a time where it's getting worse and more wicked and more evil acts are happening. The church has to be loud. Our love has to be louder than the lies of the enemy. And we have that power. And our love by actions and truth will be loud. And it's going to unlock the gates of hell. Like we have these promises, but God gives it to us. But we still have these choices whether we're going to obey or not. And so right now is the time for obedience. We don't have time to get distracted. And, it's, and we're living in a really hard generation where there is more distractions than there probably was 25, 30 years ago. We have social media. We have all this stuff on television. And I'm not saying that those things are bad, but they can be. And so it's good to ask yourself, what am I giving my time to? What am I devoting myself to? Because now is more than ever important that we come together in love and we go down and seek the gates of hell and we release our friends and family and coworkers because they're trapped there. And sometimes we don't like to acknowledge it because it's scary and we don't want to think about hell. But Jesus wasn't afraid because he said, my love will set them free. So we can't be afraid of the gates of hell because perfect love cast out all fear. So when you in love, you're not going to be afraid of the demonic. You're not going to be afraid of your coworker's sin. You're going to go tackle it head on because you're so confident that the love of God is in you and it's for that person and that they are going to be set free. Because again, it's the law of liberty. It's how we as believers live our life. And that's our commission, that we would not just have leaves, but we would have fruit. So whoever we encounter on our day-to-day -day life, they would always have an abundant amount of fruit to pick from every day. And in that, they would taste and see that the Lord is good and God would be glorified. That's why our love glorifies Christ greater than any other thing that we can do. And so... That's all that I have this morning, and I hope it challenges us. I hope that we go home and we feel challenged by the love of God because it is fierce. And I just pray over each and every one of you that this week you would be completely immersed in his love and that it would change you, it would shape you, and then it would start to change and shape those around you that you would be able to love your friends and your roommates and your spouses and your coworkers and the homeless person on the street, just like God has told us to love. He's given it the, def it's the definition. So every day we must define it to ourselves. And so I just wanna pray for us. God, I thank you for your word.
I thank you that your truth sets us free, God, that it doesn't scare us, that it doesn't condemn us, that it doesn't make us fearful, God, but it sets us free, Lord. It sets us free for more of you, that you can plant in us, God, that we would make room in our hearts for you to plant new things, God, that you would take out the, the weeds, Father, that you would prune us where we need to be pruned, God, and that we would just feel your love this morning and that we would be compelled unto death, God, to love those around us, that we would give it all up for the sake of love, just like you did, Jesus. And that we as the church, God, would bear fruit so that we would be ready for you to come back. That we say, Jesus, come back and may our hearts be ready. May we bear fruit so that when you're hungry for the works of your church, it would be there. That you would be fed on your harvest, God. I thank you for your word, Father. I thank you that it's good and it changes us, that it makes us like you. I pray that there would be a stirring up and a hunger for your word in the church body today, God, all over Athens and the world, God, that we see how amazing it is in America that we have the word, that we have access to it, God. Help us not to take it for granted, that we would treasure it, that we would cradle it, God, like we would a baby, that it would become precious to us. And as that happens, we're expecting revival, God. We're expecting an outpouring where there would be spiritual gifts that are poured out on the church, God. And there would be an increase in those. But we would be ready because our hearts would be ready in love. Father, so we just bless you. Thank you for being the line of Judah and that you fight for us. Jesus, you intercede for us. You're with us. And you give us everything you need for holiness and godliness through your great and precious promises. Amen. Yeah, our ministry team will come up and be over here to the left. Um, if anyone would like some prayer ministry, we're going to worship to another song. Um, and I'm just thankful. Um, thankful for this reminder this morning maybe um, maybe it's not a reminder maybe it's the first time you've heard something like this about how much God loves you and I just um, so as we begin to worship I just feel like um, just the hunger for the word that God has he can give that to you so if you're if you're someone who's like it's just hard for me to get in the word and maybe other people's revelation of his word has become more easier for you. Uh, it's easy to happen. So, you know, like maybe we just would rather read books where other people have already digested God's word and then spit it back out in a book. Those things are really great. But if you, are, if you want that hunger, if you want to be able to just long for the word of God and understand it and and not get confused by it and that kind of thing. That's available to you. And so this morning, I just want, um, I'm just going to lead us in a little prayer. Um, so, Father, we just repent for any way we have turned our heart cold towards your word. For any way that we have 
said, we'll take, we'll take what other people have already chewed up. Like young calves and young birds. We'll, we'll take what the mature have chewed up and spit it out into our mouth. We just repent, Lord, for not taking your word to such a treasure and such a gift and digesting it ourselves. So in our repentance, Lord, we ask you to raise us up and to think a new way. Give us the mind of Christ, Lord, to understand. And as we dive into your word this week, we'll begin today by asking Holy Spirit to tell us what you're saying. Because the only way to understand the scriptures is through the Spirit. The Spirit lives in you. You have the mind of Christ. So I just ask that you ignite, Holy Spirit, a hunger for the Word of God, for the truth that will draw us into your loving kindness and fill us up that we may go out and love the world. So I just ask you guys to stand. We're going to worship to one more song. Anyone who'd like prayer for healing or someone to fight with you against the enemy or any kind of prayer, our ministry team is up here for you.